Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. This morning we're going to do the sixth of the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. We we're calling the series Jesus' Last Words. The seventh word is going to be on Friday night at the Good Friday service. If you've never been to a Good Friday service here, there's a number of people, myself included, it's one of our favorite services of the year. Well, there'll be three guys who are going to give short meditations on the last word uh, from the cross, just kind of breaking it down. So that starts at 7 o'clock, by the way, and it's, uh, it's well worth, it's a good service. It's just a great day, you know, if you think about it, it's a good Friday. So this word that I'm going to talk about today, I think is the hardest of Jesus' last words to wholeheartedly believe. The other ones seem to be, okay, yeah, yeah, I believe it. This one, we, we pay lip service to believing it, but down in our hearts sometimes there's like reservations about it. And let me explain. Um, it's in John chapter 19 where this word is recorded, and it starts out the section with the word that Doug talked about last week and then rolls into it. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, the question is, like, what was finished? Like, he's going, there's his pronoun here, right? It is finished. What is, what is it? And I want to talk about two things that are identified in the Bible as Jesus' mission that he actually completed here, okay? So the first one is to bring us peace with God. Like it says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Um, this particular finishing that went on here, we have peace with God. He has paid the price to bring us that peace. And you know, right as soon as Jesus said that, it records in another gospel, it says that the temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom. That veil was like hugely high. It was thicker than a, a man's hand. And so that thing ripping like that was just an amazing thing. And if you know anything about the geography of the temple, it's like behind that curtain was the, really the presence of God. It's like People just didn't walk right in there. You know, once a year, a guy could go in, the highest of high priests could go in there with much trepidation and make contact with God on the Day of Atonement. And now, all of a sudden, this thing rips. And you can understand it. If it's finished, if, we're, we, if we have peace with God, then there's no separation that's necessary there. God can come and live right in our hearts. This temple isn't a meeting place anymore. The church building is no longer the house of God. It's like the people of God, you know, are the actual house of the Lord. And it's like we've got this personal contact here. It's almost like God is finally busting out like he always wanted to. So that's the first part of what's finished. And uh, Hebrews 9 amplifies this. And I, I love this, this verse. It says, and just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. You know, it, it talks about, it refers, you know, it's referencing that Old Testament 
sacrifices, right? So day after day after day, they had to sacrifice for sin to kind of atone for the things that they'd done wrong. And now it says, once and for all, it's done. It's finished. The sacrifices can come to an end. And it says there, he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. I mean, we sometimes have the sense in our minds, well, Jesus is coming back, and look out, you know, we got it coming, right? Something bad is going to happen because of our sins. And it says when Jesus comes back, for believers, it's not going to be to deal with sin. That's done once for all time. But to bring deliverance from the pain and heartache and the difficulties and all the frustrations of living in this world and bring those things uh, to an end. I, I finished reading this book a couple weeks ago. It's a short book, and it was, it was a lot of fun reading it called 100 Things We've Lost to the Internet. Just short chapters uh, by Pamela Paul. And uh, she talks about things like the kitchen phone, Right? I mean, maybe a few of you still have the old kitchen phone, but remember back in the day, you know, where that was where all the calls came in. You never knew who was on the line, and then you'd listen in to what was going on there, and I learned quite a bit just kind of overhearing my mother talking, and she'd always go like, I'll give you a ring, she'd say to her friends, and I'd go like, wow, she's going to give them a ring, you know? <laughs> and then it, it you know, finally dawned on me when I was about 15, oh, that's a telephone ring, she's going to call back, okay? Um, magazines. I mean, I'm about the last human being that still has magazine subscriptions and magazines coming to my house, but those things are kind of disappearing. Penmanship, I can tell you as an English teacher, right? Vacation. I mean, it's because of the internet. We can't get away from our jobs. It's terrible, you know? Eye contact. Uh, especially, don't you notice that sometimes you're walking down the sidewalk, here comes somebody the other way, and you're, you want to say hi to them, but they quick whip out the phone, start looking, especially if they're like younger generation, you know, just, you know, and then attention span. Wow, it, you can see this, you know, in my years of teaching, it just gets less and less. And she has a hundred things in here. And one of the things, the last chapter, she says, we've lost closure. We've lost closure. And she says, the internet is unforgiving and unforgetting about even the most minor gaffe the kind of thing that used to blow over by morning. Now the mistake lasts forever. And this makes it hard to believe that these things have just gone away once and, once and for all. We're living in a culture where they just don't seem to go away. But for us as followers of Jesus, there is closure. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's from Hebrews 10. And it talks about this new covenant that we've got since Jesus has gone to the cross. And it says... The Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, This is the new covenant I'll make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. It's like God is like working on the inside out for us to, to deal with. Like, hey, here's what I want you to do. And I'm going to change your attitude toward these things that I'm calling you to do. And then... It says, then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when these sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he'll never again remember your sins and misdeeds? Isn't that hard to believe? But so good. He'll never remember. 
it's like the internet can do things that God cannot do. Because the internet remembers, but God says, I can't remember. I can't remember. Why? Because he promised he wouldn't. He's bound himself to that. I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. It's hard for us to believe that atonement for sin is complete. Remember, you know, Nan telling me a friend of hers was talking to her, and, and this, this woman said, well, you, we've got to pay something, don't we? It's almost like there's this thing we've got to, we've got to do a little penance or something like that. Um, I showed this movie in my AP English class called The Lives of Others. It's, it's one of the best movies that I've seen. It's, it won the Best Foreign Language uh, Academy Award in 2006. And it's this, this story about the Stasi, the secret police in East Germany. And they're spying. I mean, they had the, probably the most intricate spying apparatus in the history of the world. And so many people collaborating with them. And they're spying on this one director, but they know every politically incorrect thing that he's ever said. They know the context that he's got. They know the periodicals that come into his house. They know his entire life. He's under surveillance, you know, like 100%. And in that book I mentioned before, the, the author says, we're living in an online update of the lives of others. You've got to watch your back because it's e far easier to get caught doing anything. Cheating, lying, hypocrisy, political activism on the wrong side of the political spectrum. When the Internet's enlisted soldiers are ready to tell on you, we all carry bugging devices and easily hidden cameras. We all have access to a mass audience. Satan is identified in the Bible as the accuser. And he's got millions and millions and millions of people working for him, unwittingly, just doing surveillance and putting it up there so we can be accused. And we've become so used to that, it's hard to believe that full atonement has been made for. The accusing spirit discourages us from believing our sins are paid for once for all. I've told a couple of stories that I got from Rob Long. He writes uh, sitcoms and stuff to put on, you know, for the networks and stuff like that. And he talks about a time he was in LAX. He's waiting for his plane, and he's just scrolling through his phone like everybody does, right? And he all of a sudden sees, like on Facebook, I think it was, that one of his Facebook friends has died. Her name is, was, was Barbara, and she had suddenly died. And she was like a, a Facebook friend, which means not a real friend, right? But just somebody that was sort of hooked up with you there. And, um, he, and then he thought, oh my goodness, yes, I remember this woman. She was a nice woman, but she got to be annoying because she kept trying to, you know, e email me and text me and stuff. So I blocked her number. And he's going, like, I know that it's possible to find out if someone has blocked your number. He's going, I wonder if she discovered that I blocked her number, and that caused enough stress that it killed her. And he's starting to feel, like, guilty about this. You know, he's going, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm such a, a lousy person. And so as he takes this four-hour flight across America, he spends the entire time listing in his mind all the people that he hasn't blocked kind of like balancing the scale. And he said by the time he got off the plane at his destination, he felt like, okay, everything's good. You know, he paid the penance. He'd atoned somehow. He had not heard the message. It is finished. 
Jesus' second uh, completed mission was to destroy the devil's work. And it says in 1 John 3, 8, when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. And in Hebrews 2, it kind of amplifies that. And it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You know, he broke the power of death, and you and I know that. We just always, like, celebrate that at Easter, right? The fact that death has no hold on us, and we sing about that, and we realize we're going to live forever. We're going to be alive as long as God is alive, right? This, this world is not... You know, the short span we have here is just a little part of the whole time that we've got. But there's still that fear that comes in our minds, right? And that the verse 15 says, Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You know, you could see that in the last couple of years when we had the pandemic, right? Because here was this, like, threat of something that could literally like end our physical life here on this earth and the panic that got ramped up. I mean, you could feel it, couldn't you? It was just like, wow. And I think, I think Satan really used that to strike fear into everybody's heart, whether it was fear of dying, but that kind of like spread out into just fear of getting sick, fear about our financial affairs, you know, then fear of vaccines and and then it was just, you know, just fear of other people. And it was just like one fear after another. And, and, and this is like Satan's game. It calls him a spirit of fear. And it's like it's hard for us to remember what Paul remembered. Because he was talking about the fact that he's going like, wow, my days are short. And what am I going to, you know, what's going to happen with all this opposition that's coming? And Paul said this because he knew it is finished. He said, for to me... Living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. This was something that I think so many of us forgot during the pandemic, that to die is gain. To die is gain. When we know that it is finished, we know that that is something... We do not need to fear, even though that fear is ramping up you know, everywhere that we go. If I'm freed from the fear of, of dying, I'm also freed up to do the self-sacrificial work that God has called us to. You know, in Hamlet, which uh, I'm teaching right now in my English class, awesome play, uh, had a long conversation with someone last night afterwards where we're talking about why is Hamlet putts around for four hours in that play, right? And it's, uh, Hamlet gives us to be or not to be speech, right? Which, by the way, I've assigned to my classes to memorize for tomorrow. We'll see what they do with this, you know? But it's, it's this awesome speech that goes like, you know, where he starts out to be or not to be. He's like, starts out with this whole question of suicide, right? But then what he's really getting after here is the fact that we're afraid of what happens after death. 
Like we're unsure many times. We go like, gee, if I die, what's, what's the next step? To die, to sleep, to sleep for chance, to dream. I, there's the rub, right? He goes like, he, that keeps us from taking any kind of risks many times. Like we're afraid to do stuff because we're afraid that we could die. And then what happens, right? So he says, thus conscience does make cowards of us all. And thus the native hue of resolution, you know, resolving to do stuff, is sickly or with a pale cast of thought. Hamlet thinks that he's got a God-given task to do, but he's going, I could get killed doing it, so I'm not going to do it. And he keeps stalling as a result of that. And that's a real temptation in life, isn't it? We don't like to take these kind of risks, and we're afraid really to sacrifice ourselves sometimes because we go, hey, my time is short. You know, you think of Will Feirstein, uh, that just praying for the Feirstein family, and many of you knew him, didn't you? He came here a number of times, you know, he and Joni. Well, you know how those guys started late in life to be missionaries, and they could have said, hey, I'm just going to, you know, retire, sit in a, a chair, take it easy, I've worked hard all my life. And, you know, Will's going like, I got an eternity to rest, right? I'm going to live forever, and I'm not afraid to just use that time that I got left, even if it's a few years, and use it and, and sacrifice that for the Lord. And so they did missions work in the, in the Philippines and in Panama until Will got sick and then went to be with the Lord. And I don't think Will's regretting that. I don't think he's sitting there right now going, oh, man, I never had a chance just to be lazy and selfish. No, he's going like, hey, this is great. I did the right thing, you know. He knew it is finished. It is finished that death has been, has been conquered. The spirit of fear also encourages me to believe that I'll regret denying myself something God forbids. We got this fear, you know, fear of missing out, right? Where we go like, yeah, but if that thing is wrong, but I, I don't want to miss out on that experience. My days are short. No, our days are long. Death has been conquered. It is, it is finished. Um, taught, I teach this book called Henderson the Rain King. And Henderson's a guy who's in his like 50s, late 50s, and he's lived a selfish life because uh, he's always said, I want, I want, I want. He's trying to fulfill his own desires. And he finally gets to the point where he realizes, I, I, this is no good, this is no good. And he's going, I, I need to do something that's good with my life. And he's always had this like hidden desire to be a doctor. But he knows that if he goes to med school when he's 55, he'll be like 62 or 63 by the time he gets his license. He's going like, it's too late. But then he has this, in the book, he has this experience where he's going up against lions, and, he, and he, in terms of the book, he learns to conquer his fear of death, right? And the first thing he does after that is he writes a letter back to his wife, and he says, I want you to enroll me at medical center and give my name as Leo, that's for the lions that influenced him, E. Henderson. And then he says this, I had a voice that said, I want. And he goes like, I want? I? It should have told me she wants, he wants, they want. And when we get a, a grip on it is finished and that Jesus has paid the price and we have an eternity with him. Then we stop thinking, hey, I want, I want, because my time is short and i got to have this in my life. And we start thinking, what does he want? 
What does he want? And then he goes like, think about what she wants. Think about what they want. And start devoting your life to that. My, my question is, how can I overcome my innate doubts about this good news? Because I'm so many times locked into this idea that it's not quite finished. And what am I going to do about this fact that my life is like limited in, in time, I, I start to think. And I think, you know, we're talking about Jesus' last words, and I was thinking maybe what we got to do is go back to the very first words he spoke when he started his ministry. And it's recorded in Mark 1, and it says, this is when he's starting the very first time in his ministry, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And you know what? I started to think, I wonder if the key to believing the good news that it's finished is to repent. To repent. And maybe that's the obstacle. You know what repenting is, right? I think repenting is like saying, I've lived my life on my terms. And now I'm going to, my intention is to live on God's terms. To kind of go in a different direction here, right? And so, if I'm really, and I think this is the truth, if I'm going to really believe that good news, I need to turn away from trying to live life on my own terms. Let me give you an illustration of that. There is a story that takes place in Jesus' career about a night or two before uh, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus goes to the house of some friends. It's Lazarus' house. He had raised him from the dead. And Lazarus' sister is there, and she is still thinking about what Jesus did to raise her brother. And she's so grateful. She comes in the room where Jesus is, and she's got this jar and in this jar is about $50,000 worth of expensive perfume. You know, there were no banks in those days. So you put your savings into possessions. In this case, it was expensive perfume. And she takes her life savings perfume and she dumps it on Jesus' feet, which were dirty from the trip he had made to get to Bethany, right? And then she wipes that with her hair. It's just an act of worship. It's like, Lord, you are worth it, and I can't, I can't give you enough, right? And then it says, one of Jesus' guys named Judas, it says, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold in the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Here's a guy that had followed Jesus for three years. He did miracles in Jesus' name. He heard all of Jesus' teachings, a lot of which was about handling money and doing that in a responsible, honest way. And here he is, a guy that's going, you know what? This is cool. This is fine. But who is Jesus telling me how to live my life? You know. And so he's living on his own terms, right? But still kind of a friend of Jesus at this, at this time. And now look what happens after this. Okay, here's a guy living on his own terms. And it says, not long, he's, he goes out of there, and then it says, then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Satan entered him, and he went to betray Jesus. Now think about that. It's like when we live on our own terms, this is what happens. We enter Satan's domain of accusation and fear unwittingly, 
We start living for ourselves. We kind of make ourselves vulnerable to Satan. And his accusation is always like, you're never going to be good enough for God, you know? You're going to have to pay for that, buddy. You better atone. You better start doing some stuff, man. You better square the scales. And we're going to get into that fear where he's going like, oh, baby, you know, look out. Be scared. You know, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. What if this happens? What if that test comes back this way? And he's shaking us up all the time. And we, we lose sight of that promise that Jesus made in that declaration that it is finished. And I wanted just to finish with a guy that I can really relate to here, and I'll bet you can too, who really struggled with this, but he finally came to the realization that it is finished. The guy's name is Raymond Lull. And you know, we're in that time of Ramadan, right? Started on April 2nd. It's that kind of sacred time to Muslims where they fast during the day and then feast at night. And it's like, it's a time when believers all over the world are praying. I know a lot of you are too. You're praying for Muslims to come to the truth, echoing Gretchen's prayer. This guy was the very first missionary to Muslims. And he's not well known because his career had its ups and downs, right? So he was actually a scientist in the 13th century. And he's making good money, and he's living a life that a lot of like Americans would like to live. He's got not one mistress, but two mistresses, right? So he's partying, and he's having this, this, this time and then one day, he's writing pornographic lyrics to a song. And as he's doing that, he has a vision. And he sees Jesus on the cross. And Jesus is looking him right in the eye. And Jesus is going, like, I'm disappointed in you, Raymond. And Raymond sees us, and, and he is, like, totally shook up. And he goes, like, whoa, Jesus is real. i, I got to follow this guy. But Raymond's got a load of guilt for this life he's lived, right? So what do you do in, when you're living in the you know, 13th century A.D.? You go to a monastery to do penance, right? So he goes, and he, he's at this monastery. He hasn't figured out that it is finished. So while he's at the monastery, he's walking in the woods, and he has another vision. And this time, it's a pilgrim. This guy's just you know, passing through. And the pilgrim says, Raymond... This penance you're doing is just selfishness. What are you doing here? It's time for you. Your sins have been paid for. It's time for you to act on it. Now serve the Lord. So Raymond goes, whoa, okay. My sins are all paid for. I'm going to get to work. So Raymond uh, goes like, you know what? He starts thinking about the Muslims, and he's thinking about the Crusades, right? But he's, he, he's always been convinced that the best way to reach Muslims is not to attack them as a crusader, but to love them and to share the gospel with them. So he spends the next nine years learning Arabic and becoming fluent in Arabic. And then what he does is he begins to like write books about how to witness to Muslims. He writes 60 of these books. And he travels all over Europe, and he's setting up seminaries, and he's training people to do this stuff. But he's never got the guts to be a missionary himself. Because he's not quite sure if it's finished in terms of the death thing, right? He hasn't got that second part yet. And so finally, uh, at the age of about 62, he goes like, I'm going to do this, you know? I'm going to go there. I'll probably get killed. And I'm afraid of that, but I'm going to go there. So he gets, packs up his belongings. He gets on a boat. His friends are there to wish him well. And at the last moment, he goes like, I'm afraid to die. And so he 
grabs his luggage, and he leaves the boat, much to their chagrin as they're going <laughs> goodbye. And Raymond is so ashamed of himself for doing that. He's going, I can't believe I did that. I'm such a wimp. I'm going to go back. So he books passage on the next boat that's going out from Genoa to northern Africa. And this time, he gutses it out, and he makes it. He gets there to northern Africa, and he starts to preach. And things aren't going that well, and it doesn't take long. He gets arrested and thrown in prison, and he goes, no! But they just expel him from the country and send him back to Italy. So 15 years later, he's uh, thinking about this again, and uh, he goes, like, I'm going to try again. So he goes back there, and he starts, like, this time he's more successful. He's more confrontative, but for some reason that seems to work. And he, start, he makes some disciples there, and then they catch on to him, and they send him back again. And so he spends some time, for 10 years, he spends time ministering to Jews who were very persecuted at that time. And finally he says, I've got to see my boys again down in northern Africa got to see these converts that I made, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. He goes back down there, and he's, he's covert, and he spends profitable time with them. But finally he's caught, and they finally, they killed him. Now, I look back at, at Raymond Lull, and I think, I love this guy. You know, I mean, he was a guy that, it was hard for him, just like it's hard for you and me to believe that it's finished. I mean, first of all, it was hard for him to believe that his sins had been paid for. Then it, he finally came to that realization. And then it was hard to believe that death had been conquered. But the guy kept at it, didn't he? You know, and he just kept praying about this, calling on the Lord, and he accomplished some great things. He was the very first, and he had a, a very first missionary to, to Muslims And he started something that's been going on ever since. And I guess that's what the Lord's calling us to do. He's going, look at I know you've got your doubts sometimes about this, but trust me on this, because it is finished. So let's pray. Father, as uh, I stand before you and and my brothers and sisters sit before you this morning, uh, we first of all just want to thank you for what you have done, your awesome plan of salvation that you have actually invited us into knowing about and being a part of. And thank you, thank you so much for the fact that you've paid it all, once for all. Uh, Lord, we could never make up for the stuff that we've done. And you, you took care of it, so thank you for that. And thank you for living in us. And thank you for the fact that we have eternal life in our veins right now and that we're going to live forever. And Lord, I just pray that you would deliver us from these buying into this junk that the world and the evil one is sending our way and just to keep it in front of our hearts, in front of our minds, that you have done it, Jesus, and it is finished. And we pray this in the name of the one who made it possible. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.